Well, hey, thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate you being here on campus. Appreciate you being here online. If this is your first time, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And I want to say a big shout out uh, all the way down to Lando Lakes, Florida, to Dick and Pat. They're Aaron's, Aaron, who was baptized this morning. They're her parents. They joined us online so they could watch their daughter be baptized, which I think is very cool. Hey, we are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if this is your first time, you're kind of catching us in the midst of a conversation. But that's okay because each week is a standalone conversation. Uh, and 1 Corinthians speaks well to our culture because uh, there are similarities to Corinth in the first century and America in the 21st century. In the first century, Corinth was a city of wealth and luxury and immorality, right? The, the temple of Aphrodite, her Roman name was Venus. She was the goddess of love, attracted worshipers from all over the ancient world. World. Temple prostitution was a major part of that religion, further flaming the fans of sexual uh, indulgence there. We've said, and I sometimes wonder if, we, uh, if, if, if uh, Las Vegas isn't happy with us, but we said that Corinth was kind of the Las Vegas of the first century, right? Uh, and as you can imagine, it, it was a blessing and a curse, planning a church in a city like Corinth. On one hand, there's this incredible need for the church. Uh, but also because of that, this is a church that had developed some fairly significant problems. Now, to be fair, church was a brand new concept to these Corinthian Christians. They hadn't grown up in church. They didn't have the advantage of Sunday school or VBS. Uh, youth group hadn't been invented, so this is all kind of new to them. They didn't have Megan and Michelle and Eric who work with our next gen, working with their next gen, right? By the way, Michelle comes back next week from sabbatical, and I know that she has missed everybody, so be sure to welcome her. The Corinthians came to know Jesus as adults, and some of you have been in that position here, right? I mean, maybe this is your, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe even this morning, this is your first time in a long time to be in church, or maybe it's your first time ever, and you're just, things just seem a little strange. You don't Speak the lingo. Even when you came in initially, that little thing that was out in the hallway they gave you that had juice in it, you had no idea there was a wafer at the top of that, right? You're looking at that going, what is, just seems kind of odd. Those are the Corinthian Christians. And they've tracked some old habits. They've tracked some dirt into the church with them. Now, for the record, can I just say, I'm all about that. Uh, uh, I, listen, I've told you before, I don't tell people that I'm a pastor because as soon as they find that out, they start acting all weird around me, and I just want people to be who they are, and I want to be part of a church that is, that, that I don't want to be part of a church that is so sanitized that people cannot be who they are when they come in. I agree with Aaron Brockett, who's over at Traders Point in Indy, a healthy church. By the way, this is in the notes for this morning. I want to make sure that you kind of took this vision for our congregation. A healthy church has two convergences of people that flow in all the time. On one hand, there's healthy, mature, gracious disciples of Jesus. And on the other hand, uh, there will be people who just don't speak the lingo, right? They didn't grow up in the church. It's all brand new to them. And we're all in process, all of us, whether it's your first step or hundreds of steps in, uh, in this process with Jesus. But at the same time, right, we should not, uh, we should, we should not tolerate, we, we should not be uh, excusing away prolonged immaturity. So they were trying to figure out not only how to follow Jesus, they're trying to figure out how to be a church. And that's, by the way, a difficult thing. It can be a tricky thing. They were struggling. They were wrestling with their former ways of thinking, and Paul's trying to correct that. And so one of the areas that uh, they were confused about was the area 
of sex. And Paul tells them uh, and reminds others, right? So same for us. He's telling some of us today, reminding others of us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy, are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if you've ever wondered what's my purpose in life, your purpose in life is to honor God with your life. You were created to honor him. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens remind us that the universe was created to declare the glory of God. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus, like you just saw a moment ago out in our baptistry, right, the Lord of the universe actually comes and takes up residence inside of us because his Holy Spirit now lives in us. So we become a temple. That's what Paul's talking about, a temple of the Holy Spirit. First century readers would have very easily made this uh, jump to what they knew from the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem. It represented the place where God lived. Uh, now, of course, God is everywhere. We have a word for that when we say God is omnipresent, right? It means God is everywhere all the time. And yet the temple represented this place where he, where he lived, where heaven touched earth in this tangible way. And that's us today. We are where heaven touches earth in a very tangible way. I don't know if you knew that or not. And so the purpose, and this is in the notes, our purpose as temples of God is to honor God, to bring glory to God. That, that impacts, by the way, the decisions that we make and the career path we choose and the relationships that we build and the way we live and the way we serve and the way we love and the college football team that we love and support. <laughs> not really. Not really. I'm sorry. Got all excited from last night. Uh, Everything in our lives is to be impacted by living to honor God. But listen to what's happening in Corinth. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. And whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So again, because Corinth was the home of the temple to the goddess of love, the availability and the acceptance of sex with no restrictions, no restraints. It was all part of this city. It was ex not only accepted, it was expected. And I wanted, I wanted to call this message Sex in the City. But the rest of the teaching team said no. So we're not going to say that. Uh, in chapters 5 to 7, I don't know if you picked up on this. In three chapters, Paul's talking to them about sex. In chapter, in chapter 5, right? Again, keep in mind, they're new to church. And so th these chapters, his primary focus is sexual immorality. So here's what happened. Paul plants this church, and he clearly established, listen, these, this, this is... Again, you're new to church, but this is how it works in the area of sex. And it's just rampant in the city, and so I need to tell you this. These are God's standards. This is what he expects from you. Now these reports have come back to him about what's going on, how it's been compromised. So in chapter 5, here's what he says to the church. It's actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and the kind that even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So we looked at that last week. I'll remind you, I, I shared with you this word, pornea, right? Sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, and it's where we get our word pornography. Uh, but it's kind of a Greek umbrella word uh, that every, things fall under it. Uh, everything falls under it that is sex that is not between a husband and a wife in a covenant of marriage. 
So everything that's not husband-wife in marriage falls under this word. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, if it doesn't fall under the covenant of marriage, if it's not between a husband and wife in marriage, it falls into this umbrella of sexual immorality. And Paul says it's reported that this, this is what's happening not outside in the community, not in the culture. It's actually happening inside the church. And then he gives this example that's been reported to him. Uh, and we talked about, again, last week he says a wife, a man has his father's wife, presumably his stepmom. And Paul says, how can this be? And if you missed that, I hope you'll check it out at our website. And then in just what we looked at, verse 16, do you, do you know why he's talking about prostitution? Because it's members of the church are connecting with prostitutes in their culture. Again, the city had a reputation for sexual immorality, for religious prostitution. This is an artist's rendering of the Temple of Aphrodite. It had accumulated so much wealth that it owned a thousand slave women or female priests who worked within the temple, served the sexual requests of visitors to the temple. They were women dedicated to the goddess for sex and entertainment. And this city was crowded and enriched because of these women, the two harbors that came into Corinth. And so uh, shipmasters easily spent everything that they had. And I want to make sure you catch this. So I put this in the notes. Seems like it should be obvious to us. Their culture normalized sexual behavior beyond what God says is his design for us. And I'm telling you that because I want to make sure you get this. Really, that just leads to this. Our culture has normalized sexual behavior beyond what God says is his design for us. We see that in any and every sexual activity outside of the relationship of the covenant of a husband-wife marriage. Anything. Unmarried people having sex is outside. Uh, uh, married couples having sex with someone not their spouse is outside. That's sinful. Same-sex relationships. And it's more than that. Pornography is running rampant in our culture uh, and is inside the church. Statistically, statistically we know that there are those here at MCC, here on campus, they're online with us, who this is an area of struggle for you. So listen, this is one of those topics. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more in depth. So we're going to have a two-week Wednesday night. This will be October 4th and the 11th, where we're, and we're calling it Christ and Culture. And what we're talking about is what happens when the culture that we live in and the, and the kingdom that we belong to, what happens when they collide? And so on the 4th, Eric and I will be talking about gender identity. Uh, and on the 11th, Rich will be talking about critical race theory and what that means. And there'll be a Q&A with both of those evenings so you can come and ask questions. I hope you'll register to join us for those nights on the Church Center app. I think there's a link in the notes for this morning as well. So people coming out of the culture here in Corinth, where the culture normalized those decisions and that behavior for those who just came to Jesus, or for, for those who the idea of Jesus is still very new to them. What does that mean? One of our core values here at MCC is we call it journey. Faith is a lifelong journey, and we'll meet people where they are, not where we wish they were, and we'll risk getting our hands messy to help them become a disciple of Jesus. We will love people, and we will walk with them through whatever they have going on in their life. And by the way, you find out the guy we talked about last week, I mentioned this, you find out that's exactly what they did. The guy living with his stepmom, they walked through that with him, uh, and, and he was he brought back into the church. But here's what we need to understand. We can't normalize that. 
in the church, we can't say, well, that's okay. This is normal. We can't say that. Uh, and so Paul says in chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. So not to be too simplistic, and sometimes you think it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, I will flee from sexual immorality. And the word he uses for flee is a strong word. It means to run, run, and keep on running and don't stop running. He doesn't say flirt with sexual immorality, which I, I don't know about you, but that's kind of, you know, would you want, how close can I get to this line without crossing it? Paul's saying, that's, that's not, do not get close to the line. Run away from the line and keep running away from the line as fast as you can. So that's how sexual behavior in their culture infiltrated the church in the first century. So I brought, I asked Mark Graham to come and join us this morning. Mark works with uh, AIM, Agape International Missions. Uh, some of you may remember him. We, uh, we partnered with them in the fight against human trafficking. And so I appreciate you being here with us this yeah, morning. Absolutely. Uh, just recently we had a showing. We hosted two showings of the film Sound of Freedom. And, uh, and we gave away, thank you for giving us stuff to give away. We love giving away other people's things. Uh, it's one of my favorites around here. So tell us, uh, remind everybody uh, about AIM again. Yeah, so AIM is working on the ground in Cambodia and Belize to fight child sex trafficking. Yeah. And so we do that in four ways. We take a holistic approach to the issue. And so we have um, a rescue element. I have a SWAT team that walks in with local law enforcement to do raids, uh, rescues, and arrests. Mm-hmm. We have a restoration uh, side of things. We do aftercare for underage girls and women who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. And then we have a reintegration work that helps women uh, work through job skills, vocational training, jobs even um, as a part of that. And then we do a lot of preventative work. Okay. So, so, so and just this past August, I had, you gave me that to share with the congregation, but it's been a couple months ago. You just had a big raid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One night, uh, August 14th, we were able to um, shut down five brothels in one night night. And uh, it, that led to the rescue of 12 uh, individuals out of that and four arrests yeah. in a single night. And, and so we were kind of a part of that a couple of years ago. If you were here a couple of years ago, our Christmas offering went to help purchase a SWAT vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so we, in, uh, de facto, were part of helping to rescue. I want to make sure I, that's important that you understand your generosity helps save people. You may never meet the side of heaven. Uh, and that's, that's a big deal. So, uh, so I asked you to come today and share about the demand side of sex trafficking because we know and common sense should tell us that people don't just one day get out of bed who have never been involved in anything and just say, you know, I think I'm going to buy somebody mm-hmm. or uh, I think that I want to be involved in that. So if we are able to dry up demand, that will take care of. If there's no demand, that should take care of the problem. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing that we know we're coming to understand more and more is that that pornography is fueling sex trafficking on a global scale. Uh, and that's kind of what we're facing these days. And it just continues that, that side of it continues to grow and grow and grow. Okay. All right. So that's very cool. So um, you were telling me backstage about a young lady uh, not long ago. Yeah. Actually, the court case was just recently, right? Uh, yeah, it ended up uh, re-wrapping up. So it's been through two cycles now. Okay. So tell them, tell them about that. So, um, and really just kind of help paint the picture of when we talk about sex trafficking, what are we talking about? And so I'll give you uh, an example of just some, uh, some of, uh, experience that we've had as an organization. And so, um, uh, what we've seen play out in, in Cambodia before is, um, moms will often sell the virginity of their daughter. And so how this works is they'll go to a doctor and they'll get the daughter's virginity certified 
and they'll take that and they'll present it to a pedophile who will then pay money, an exorbitant amount of money for that. And so the, they send the daughter off. She spends this time with this, this, this guy. And uh, upon return back to home, obviously there, there is a, a sense of shame that comes over or that is, that is thrown on her because of what was done to her, uh, even, because, even though it was not her choice. Um, and the family in that culture does not do shame well. And so uh, what we've seen is then they've been turned around and actually sold back into a brothel because the family didn't want that shame upon themselves from their own community, even though they were the ones who uh, orchestrated that in the first place. Right. One of the ladies just said that there was a film on her. Yep. How old do you think she was when she was sold the first time? I want to say it was 12 or younger uh, okay. when she was sold the first time. And, uh, yeah, and so, you know, and, and the complexities of the legal system are always a challenge. And so... In this, in one of these cases that we've seen, is is uh, the 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 perpetrator gets arrested, thrown in jail, goes to trial. The girls uh, that were all a part of this process, there's five girls that came and they testify in the U.S. and he's convicted uh, of of the crime. He's sentenced to 210 years, and then because of a loophole verbiage in our law, they overturned his verdict and uh, forced a retrial. And so the retrial happened, and now the, the, the girls, now grown women, all in their 20s, come back to the U.S., and they all testified against him again. And this just happened in uh, 2022. And he actually sat in prison for years before the retrial. So they, they'd gone from being uh, teenagers when the time they testified the first time to being adults. And they come back, and they testified again. Yeah. Um, and uh, thankfully, he was convicted again and sentenced back to 210 years in prison uh, once more. So I just, uh, I, I know that we're talking, it sounds like this is something happening somewhere else. Rich uh, McKinley, our executive pastor, was telling me that back in 2012, I think it was, there was a bill passed here in Ohio uh, about human trafficking, and the first arrest made in the state of Ohio, the first arrest made in the state of Ohio was here in Miamisburg. It was at our exit. And so if you're thinking this is a problem somewhere else, you have thought wrong about that. It is a problem here at home. Uh, we actually have officers in our community who work with human trafficking, sex trafficking in our own community. And so that's why this is so important mm -hmm. uh, to us. So, so what do we know about this around the world? So on a, on a global scale right now, we know, like, I'll just give you a quick snapshot. Over 49 million people are trapped in slavery right now somewhere in the world. Uh, break that down a little bit more, and you're looking at 6.3 million people are being trafficked for sex. Uh, and then even break that down a little bit more, 4.9 million of those are women and girls uh, that, that we're, we're seeing this happen to, this atrocity happen to right now. Yeah, that is huge. Talk about the difference between men and women. Uh, so... There's a study that, that uh, the Barna Group and Josh McDowell did called the Porn Phenomenon. And within this, they, they did a lot of research and have a, 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 just incredible statistics. But honestly, the, the, the statistics are pretty disturbing because really what this, this shows us is the immensity of usage that we're facing here in the United States. So a couple of examples of stats that, that really paint this picture. 51% of Americans uh, are using porn, at least occasionally. Uh, and then of that, 46% of all American males use porn regularly. Okay. Uh, but it's not just a male phenomenon, right? No. We think of it as a, as a problem men have only. Right. And really, women are involved with this as well, yes? Yeah, 18% of all American females are using porn regularly. Okay. And, and to be very clear, what I want to make sure that you all understand is that's not a problem just in the seats. 
It's a problem on the platform as well. Most pastors, 57% of pastors and uh, 64% of youth pastors have said either they currently have or have in the past uh, uh, viewed pornography. Uh, 12% of youth pastors, 5% of pastors say currently they are addicted to pornography. And again, all of this is fueling. We're talking about this is fueling yeah. sex trafficking. Yeah. And so we need to, I just want to make sure you know, that's not just, we're not casting aspersions. We, we understand that there is a problem inside of ministry as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and why this is extremely concerning, alarming, uh, is the fact that we're talking about tens of millions of people that are using right now. Right. And this isn't just a, a couple people here and there. Tens of millions of people are using in our own country yeah. here at home. And so really what this breaks down to is it's a supply and demand issue. I think a lot of us have heard those terms before, so this, this makes sense. So what we're talking about with pornography and its relationship to sex trafficking is there is a supply and a demand issue. Pornography is crafting and creating a demand, which is then creating the supply chain that is being worked out. And so some of this will, will apply to both sides of this. And so really, here, here's how they're tied together. Some examples. Pornography is being used uh, to, to market those who are being exploited or trafficked. So uh, uh, one survey, 63% of underage sex trafficking victims said they were advertised or sold online. I think that kind of, it makes sense if you think about it, but I think most people don't think about that. No. We don't, well, you we don't, don't want to think tie about it. that together. No. Right, right. Because, because we want to think that pornography is just, uh, it's just me at my house. Yeah. It doesn't really impact yeah. anybody else. This is my struggle, my sin, but it doesn't really impact anybody right. else. And that's not true. No, it's not true at all because, you know, so, so the next part of this is, is trafficking victims are being forced to create the pornography. We know this, we know this well. Like this isn't just a, a guess or a shot in the dark. Like here, here's what's happening. This goes back to the supply and the demand, right? There's a demand and there's a, a need because tens of millions of people are out there consuming this product, yeah. right? You're online, you're paying for it, or they're monetizing these sites now. So there is, there is money that people are making off of this. So when that's happening, here's the other part that we know, when people are using pornography, there is an increase in a need for pornography. It's the same way as people have when they get into a drug addiction. There needs to be more to create the same response, the same feeling. And so there's this extreme level of demand because there's people, there's so many people consuming. That means there's so much more demand because there needs to be so much more out there to fuel this addiction. That's a vicious cycle. Right. And so what traffickers are doing is they're profiting off of user-generated content because now there's sites out there that they can upload their own content to and then make money off of it. And there's not a lot of filters or requirements or hoops that they have to jump through to do this. Right. And so what's happening is they're out luring in victims to come in and create this. And then they're just exploiting those people by making money off of what they did to them. And this is living out there on the internet indefinitely. Okay, so then the demand uh, for human trafficking gets fed by that. Absolutely, yeah? absolutely. This is an escalation process, right? This, this, this all escalates. So here's the other part we know this is, is demand for human trafficking is being fed by pornography. Okay. The pathway to purchase is through pornography, right? Consuming pornography. We, we understand this from studies of, of people who have, have gone through this. We understand that it, it creates desensitization and dehumanization, Right? People just simply become pixels. They're just people in images. And so we lose the ability to relate to them as humans. They're just a product that we're consuming because we get a feeling right. because of it. 
Right there, and so they're just images on the screen. Absolutely, or, yeah. Because okay. the same thing that's happening when the when there's drug uses, there's a dopamine hit that's happening, and so what 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 the the consumer is in pursuit of is that dopamine hit, and it's the same way. It's a t- you build up a tolerance. You need something new. You've got to continue to escalate in order to receive the same level or the same response that you wanted and you've been after. And so this this goes to amount, frequency, depravity. Like nobody set out one day to think, oh, I want to be into the deep end of this and into these dark places. But what happens over time of this consumption is it's sure. continued to build in that direction. Yeah. And I'm assuming, I mean, that impacts not just what you're looking at online. That impacts how you see people around you in the real world, doesn't right. it? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't just affecting this. So, so this is, so this is, we, we know this. Research indicates that porn consumers are more likely to sexually objectify and dehumanize others. Okay. So without knowing it, when, when you begin to walk down this path, uh, and you may think, again, it's, it's just a little bit, it's not much, it's yeah. not, but it's a path that you start down, and this is where it goes to. Yeah. Not just what you're looking at, but how you treat people in the real world that yeah. you see. Actually. So, so even, even if you say that, if, even if you go like, I, I would never do that. I would never get on a plane, go across the world to purchase a person. What also is happening at the same time, this is also happening in stages and phases. It doesn't just end up everybody in the same place, but there is that objectification and dehumanization that's happening, even if you're a mild consumer. Yeah. Wow. Because when we become comfortable with that, we're stating that we're fine with people simply just being an object. Yeah. Which I would think makes it easier then, because I know you and I talked about that this impacts the victims as well, right? Yes. They're using pornography now. Yes. Well, and pornography is being used to groom victims. Okay. It's, how it's, it's, it's how they're getting. So, so we understand this. Like there's reports, there's studies that indicate that sexual predators and traffickers are using pornography to groom their victims. They're creating, they're desensitizing their victims to the level of abuse that they would experience in and through being trafficked, and they're normalizing the abuse that they're going to experience. That's, so, I mean, you can kind of see where this is going, right? Why we're talking about this. Not only was it a problem in Corinth, we see how it is impacting our culture here as well. Not, not just in our day, here in America, here in Miamisburg, Ohio. And so, I mean, we, we want to be aware of this. Yeah, and I think the wrestle that we have, and this is, this is where it kind of comes to the point, is we, we're sitting in a culture that has normalized this. It's been in our TV shows. It's in everyday lingo. Yeah, we were talking about as yeah. long as long Friends, yeah. which was an incredibly popular show. They normalized pornography. Oh yeah, on that show. Yeah, and it, it's in it's in common culture these days. We joke about it and all these things. And so we're we're up against something that we feel is so normal and so accepted in our culture to be able to go. Wait a second. There's an, a dark underbelly to all of this, and sure. you have to consider that the click or the view and how it's affecting. Because what you're doing, when you're clicking and you're viewing, you're driving demand. Bottom line. It's the same thing when we shop, right? When we shop and we look at different products, we are driving demand. And in response to that, they're going to create more to match the demand. This is the same thing that's happening with pornography. The more we click, the more we view, we're creating demand, which is then on the other side, creating somebody, uh, mobilizing somebody to generate more supply. You know, I had mentioned to Mark, I, I remember, because sometimes people get into this very innocently. I remember when I was in elementary school, we went down to the school to play basketball on the court outside, and someone had tossed a Playboy. So this would have been back in the late 60s, uh, an old Playboy up by the trash can, by the, the basketball court. That was my introduction 
to pornography. And if I think about it, I can still go, this is like 50 years ago, I can go back to the images if I think real hard. So I try not to think real hard about, you know, that. Um, uh, because it just stays in there. And uh, we need, but it's not that way today. You don't have to, it comes to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's on our computers. It's on your phones. It's in our pocket. It's, it's in your pocket. It's right in your now. hand. Right? Right now. It's, it's available anywhere, everywhere now. Okay. And so it's so, so prevalent. And so, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, I've been on staff now for a few years with AIM and, and having gone to Cambodia, you know, years before that and spending time over there and seeing things. And, you, you, you know, you, you, we've all had experiences. You see things you, you can't unsee. And I remember seeing a pedophile show up in the community there to purchase a kid. I can, I can still replay it in my mind. I can vividly see it. And so those are images, and there's other images that just haunt me and, and make conversations like this all the more important because I want to do whatever we can do to stop somebody from ever reaching that point where they go, you know what, I'm going to purchase a ticket, and I'm going to go across the world, and I'm going to go do this thing. It's like, can we back up some steps and do something that would stop somebody from ever going down that path? So is it possible Absolutely. for that to happen? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's research for this. There's... It, it, that's why I wanted this conversation to hopefully be helpful and to know that this isn't just us taking shots in the dark of like, hey, I right. bet this. There's research out there that backs all of this up, that we understand that, in a sense, the brain can be rewired. Okay. If it's been wired one direction, it can be rewired another direction. And so we know this, that desensitization can be managed and largely reversed, which is encouraging. Like, we, we understand that even in substance abuse and other addictions, research shows the brain can heal over time with sustained effort. Okay. So research also shows that guilt can motivate healthy change. That's good. But shame can fuel problematic porn habits. Okay. So we, we don't want anyone to know. Right. And we're afraid someone's going to yep. find out. And so we begin to believe the lie, I shouldn't tell anybody. Right. This is shameful. I, I should have conquered this. This shouldn't be a problem of mine. It's embarrassing. And so when, when those become the normal things that we tell ourselves, yeah. that shame continues to keep us in the dark, which continues to drive us deeper into this problem, which continues, right? It just continues. It's a domino effect. So there may be someone who's in the room or maybe online this morning. That's kind of where they're at, yeah. right? But I, but I would say this. The, the thing I want people to hear is this. I want you to hear the part of that, that that we just said is this. Change is possible. Okay. All right. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about, right? In verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. It's possible, even if you've gotten your foot caught, it's possible that you can run from this. He would say to the church in Rome, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Right? That's when you'll know. That's how you'll be able to test what God's will is. But there's this changing of the mind that happens. So we, even the Bible has told us it's possible. Research is showing us it is possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great. I think part of this too is you need to ask God for help. I I love this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, somewhere you'll be in in a few weeks as you study, continue on in your study. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I love this. And God is faithful. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't stopped loving you. He hasn't stopped caring. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you're not so buried into this that you can't find a way out. And I hope people will, I hope you will hear that, right? God loves you. And so there, he's got a trap door. He's got a, an escape hatch waiting right now. If this is you, he's got an escape hatch. Well, and just, and this just hit me. It's like, 
the reason we're having this conversation is this, so we can help people go like, hey, there is a door. There's a door. You don't have to continue to take the step into the next thing because the reason we're having this conversation is so we can help people go, you don't have to go down that path. This may be the escape hatch. Exactly. Right. So go, there is hope. There is a way out. Okay. And the next one, that's one we make sure you get, is you need to ask a godly friend uh, for accountability. Uh, this is hugely important, all right? Uh, not, not just anybody. Don't just tell anybody. Ask a friend who knows Jesus and who loves you who will walk with you, someone you trust, who has your best interests in mind, and who has the kingdom of God in their mind, so they can walk through this with you. Uh, James 5, verse 16, if you can pop that, if you can pop forward a slide, um, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. That's what this is about, so that you may be, there's healing in that. The, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I just want to make sure that you get that. When you share that with someone, the shame, the light starts to come on. And the enemy doesn't have as much of a hold anymore yeah. on us. Yeah, I, I'd say the, the next part of this is you've got to get rid of any pornographic material that you have. Yeah. I, I know sometimes that seems overly simplified, but, but it's this idea that Matthew 18 lays this out. He says, you know, part of that, that whole section is if your right eye causes you to stumble, he talks about gouging it out, which you feel like, man, that seems very extreme. But, but it's, it's this idea of you have to ruthlessly eliminate the things that are dragging you into sinful habits right. because it's going to drag you off and it's going to take control and you're going to follow into that vicious cycle. But he's saying, hey, you've got to take action now to ensure that that doesn't continue to have a hold in your life. Right. So don't put it in a box up in the closet or in yeah. the attic. Don't, don't, you know, save it somewhere else on your computer so it's a little harder to get to. Right. Get rid of all of it. Yeah. Okay. Listen, and, and part of this is making sure this hope that Paul, that we're talking about, Paul talked about. So I want to make sure you catch this because in, in, in chapter 9 he says this, and I heard this as a kid, so maybe you did too. Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Maybe you heard that. Don't be deceived. And then Paul says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you've heard that before. And they're all out. That's it. No chance. Except what Paul says next in verse 11. And I find this so cool. That's what some of you were. Some of you here in the church in Corinth, some of us here in the church in Miamisburg, some of you were, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. So justified means in the eyes of God, it's just as if it didn't happen, right? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's the hope. Things can change. You can be a different person tomorrow than you are today, and it'll just continue to get better and you closer to Jesus. That's what we're going to make sure you have that hope. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to close a little bit differently than we normally do. We've asked Jason to come out, and he's going to walk us through some prayer prompts uh, this morning as a way to bring this to a full close. Okay? Thanks, Jason. Uh. So we are going to end this morning uh, just going through and kind of thinking about what we just heard and, and praying for all those involved. Uh, AIM, they have a, a great resource uh, that Mike is going to make available this week. Uh, it's just a prayer guide that you could have um, to be mindful um, as you come about your days or you enter into your daily prayer time uh, to think about this aspect. Because sometimes, as, as we know, we, we don't want to have maybe this hard conversation or confront this hard reality at times. Uh, but it is... Uh, greatly important. Uh, 
And so the first thing that we need to recognize is this, uh, is that we're in a spiritual battle and that this is a spiritual battle that we're facing. And First Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So in this moment right now, I just want us to be mindful and to pray for God's protection uh, over the vulnerable uh, or to pray uh, for wisdom to follow God's commands, to fight injustice and take bold action. And some of that bold action may be what we just talked about of getting rid of the things in our lives or helping hold someone else accountable uh, in their lives when it comes to this idea of fighting against pornography or to praying for protection for the vulnerable of those around us. So we'll take a moment and pray for that right now. Father, we come to you in this moment, and we come to be reminded that we are in a battle, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against uh, spirituality, and the fact that we have an adversary that is roaring around like a lion, looking for someone to devour and destroy. So, Father, we pray uh, for protection for ourselves and for those around us. Father, that whatever sin it may be in our lives, the thing that the devil is using to, to grab a hold of us, Father, that we would begin to, as we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, to find a way out, that you've opened up the door uh, and helped us see what can be done. So, Father, we ask for that right now. For ourselves and for those who are in vulnerable situations right now. The next thing we want to pray for is for the, the children, women, and men that, who are trapped, uh, who the devil has a foothold in these areas, whether it's from being exploited uh, in slavery, uh, in this, working in the adult in entertainment industry, or even those uh, who may be uh, trapped in the addiction of pornography. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to still kill and destroy. Uh, but the the best part of that verse says that I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest that there is that hope and so let's pray for those situations right now Father, we come to you right now, and we pray for those who are trapped, whether it's in an addiction to pornography, or they're, they're being exploited or sold into slavery. Father, that you would come and that you, you would provide help and aid, that you provide guidance and protection, and Father, and that you would speak to each of us collectively as individuals and as a church of how we can come alongside and mobilize around those uh, who find themselves in these situations. 
Father, that your, your love and your guidance would be the light that helps people come out of these areas, to help bring the light to those dark places so that uh, transformation can happen, so that people can be saved uh, and that redemption can be, begin to happen. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense of way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And so we want to pray uh, for the church at large. Um, with the statistics that we heard this morning um, and the pornography being the, the stepping stone uh, to trafficking, that we want to fight uh, not only here in MCC and the church at large, uh, the struggles that people have with pornography and sex outside of marriage. So we'll pray for that. about, to flee from sexual immorality, Father, that we would be able to um, see the light, the way out, that put up protection around, to invite accountability and to have the boldness and the courage to ask for help when it comes to the area of pornography, um, Father, that we could be individuals that can work together to see what can be done to not only uh, helping ourselves individually get on a better track with you if this is a struggle but, but also collectively of what would begin to happen um, if individuals one by one stop going to pornography and what that would do to the trafficking world and so Father help us see this as, as a collective fight uh, for your children In John chapter 13, we're reminded of a new command, to love one another as I have loved you. And so our purpose in everything that we do uh, is not to, to bring guilt and shame uh, when someone's struggling with addiction or struggling in, in sin, but is to love well, to show who Jesus can be uh, because he's shown that type of love to us. And so we wanna end with that sense of hope uh, and pray that we could be people and we could be individuals, that we could be a church, that we could be a community that reflects the image of Jesus well as we live on mission. So let's pray for that. around us in such a way that we reflect your son's image, that, that we people would know that we are your disciples by the way we love those around us, that we would speak in grace and truth, 
And Father, that we would never begin to automatically project someone's circumstances and begin to judge them for it, but that we would come alongside them and begin to love well, to hear their story and to walk along with them as you continue to work in their lives. Father, you are the one who saves, not us. So let us be a reflection of your son as we love those around us, as we go on mission, as we take what we've heard today uh, and we internalize it personally and corporately. Father, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.